Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum, and today we uh, are going to hit on a couple different topics here. Not a ton of news to talk about, with uh, which probably isn't surprising considering since we last recorded, the NHL hasn't played for about four of the days. Um, they're getting back into the swing of things now. It's Wednesday, December 28th. However, there's also World Juniors Hockey on, uh, which has uh, been exciting. I know I watched a bunch of the games, and, and Chase, I know you've watched a couple as well. Um, one of the big topic points out of the World Juniors, and it, it honestly is one of the World Junior talking points every year, um, is their head contact rule. Uh, and that's something I want to get into, and I figured it's probably going to be one of our bigger topics of the day. So I figured let's get into it now. Um, in the Canada game against the uh, Team Czechia, there one player got a five-minute major for contact to the head. It was uh, a hit where it was a solid hit. He definitely got his fore- forearm up in the head. I was shocked it was called a five-minute major, though. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think during the broadcast, Bob nailed it on the head where by the definition of the rule, that felt a little aggressive. Yeah. And so I guess my overall topic, I didn't really need to talk about this one play, but the consensus I also saw on Twitter way too often was that wasn't even a penalty. That was a clean hit. That is not a, that in, in the NHL, it probably is considered a clean hit. It absolutely should not be though. Yeah, no, any head contact being a penalty is like a pretty, pretty reasonable thing. And that's exactly what I wish the NHL would switch to in terms of like the the rule by the book is in the double IHF. I think it's any head contact is two and a 10. Um, I don't even need the 10 in there. It should be like, I've gone on this rant a couple of times, I feel like on this podcast. Why do we not play by the minor hockey rules? Any contact, and it's been like this for a decade now. Any contact to the head is an automatic two minutes. It doesn't matter if you cut, just you make a beautiful hit on the guy's chest and then your elbow comes up and just kind of touches his nose. That is two minutes. You hit him in the head. Any purposeful contact to the head, i.e. if you hit him and, you know, even if it's not a hard hit, but it's pretty obvious that your shoulder directly hit the head or you face wash a guy or whatever, you just punch him in the head. That's four minutes. That's a double minor. That is what it is in every hockey league. And then obviously you have the idea the you can go to a five if you feel that it was intentional or a dangerous hit. It, it just feels way too straightforward. I don't understand why we haven't done it. Yeah, it's especially given everything we know now. And like um, for those who don't know, I think we've brought this up on this before, but like this became a thing while we were in the middle of playing minor hockey and for like the first I don't know, two months, there was penalties, like, there was, like, four to five, like, literally four to five times more penalties in a game than there normally was, but then after about two months, everybody figured it out, and if 11-year-old AE players can figure it out, I promise you NHL players will adapt, too. Absolutely, considering, especially because, you know, this rule would just take away from a lot of the borderline ones where someone gets absolutely ran over in the middle of the ice. It's like, well, he technically contacted his shoulder half a second before he drilled right through his head. So we're going to pretend that's okay. It's like, no, these <laughs> yeah. should still not be okay. Even if you want to put, and, and the reason I want the two and four is because I still think it puts some onus on the guy who's getting hit in this scenario, because I, I do understand from a ref's perspective a big hit where it's like you just you get the shoulder first, but then you hit his head. I understand not wanting to give a five for that in terms of like he clearly wasn't headhunting, but the ability to give a two or a four means that you can still give a penalty, you can still punish a player for hitting someone in the head, but you don't have to actually fully remove them from the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, like, I don't know, anyone's response to this is, oh, you're just going to be happy when hitting's out of the game. If, if you can't figure out by now that we don't need to scramble people's brains to have an entertaining product, you're living in the wrong era. You're just, you're get, get the 21st century. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, we know yeah. too much about how it affects them in their, their post-playing lives to, to be okay with it. Exactly. Right. And, and it's like, it's, it's crazy. Honestly, like I see hits in the NHL still where I go, I cannot believe that is considered legal. And, you know, obviously anyone under any hit, you're going to get the 45 year old. Oh, there's a cleaner or the wannabe 45 year olds who are actually 22. Well, that's a clean hit. That's a perfect. hit. It's like, no, it's not. Shut up. Like, stop. Yeah. 
But I just I, I can't believe it's done. Even just with the double IHF, you know that that case right there kind of made me question as well. And that's why I just I don't understand why it's not something that's it doesn't have to be ejection or no ejection. You know, like this is something where we want to get them out of the game, and I totally understand that. And I'm fine being like if you're 50-50 leaning towards the five-minute major, because that is going to get it out of the game more. But, Faster. Yeah, exactly. But I think just even a better way to get out of the game is just penalize teams more often for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that'll get it out for sure. So um, that was just something I wanted to bring up before, you know, we really got into anything else. And, um, you know, it was just something that had kind of reminded me as, as we were watching the early parts of this tournament. Uh, this tournament's always my favorite Favorite time of the year. It's just pure chaos hockey. Um, already Canada's lost to Czechia. Uh, Latvia gave the States a pretty good game. Uh, Switzerland beat um, Finland and then uh, beat um, oh, who they beat last night in a shootout. Uh, Latvia. They beat Latvia in a shootout uh, just barely. Uh, Sweden only beat Germany 1-0. Like, there's been a r- ton of really good games already. Um, so I, I definitely plan on watching a couple more. I got the States and Slovakia game on as we speak. And Chase, I'm assuming you, you've watched enough or plan on watching enough of the tournaments as well because I know you and I definitely watch it throughout the years. Oh, 100% is the best. Um, but yeah, so we'll keep an update on that. I don't think there's Anything else? Is there any like, prospects you're keeping an eye on in this tournament? Watching the Finnish team, I know all my all my modeling and stuff love Joachim Kamel, mm-hmm. as well as um, Jircheck was a guy I seem to be higher higher on the most. And then obviously Bedard's just Connor freaking Bedard, so that's always awesome to watch. Yeah, it's a must watch. Uh, Bedard is must watch TV. I, I think that is uh, obviously we're not breaking any boundaries saying that uh, this Finnish team is definitely much weaker than past years, so, which is why I'm even more interested to watch to see if guys like Joaquin Kamel can stand out. And even Brad Lambert too is another yep. guy. I want to see if he can, you know, like I, I was texting with you the other day where this is Brad Lambert's third tournament. Every tournament he's been in, the hype for him has been less and less and less. And that's not like, I'm not overstating anything there. I don't think I saw heard anyone bring his name up before this tournament. No. And I, I followed a bunch of prospect people during all my draft stuff this summer. I've seen little to nothing on him. I think Brady liked to tweet <laughs> that came across my timeline of Jets fan, but like, that's literally it. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, in the States, uh, I'm curious to keep an eye on the States too. They, they're bringing a pretty young team from what I understand to this tournament, but um, they have a couple guys. Uh, uh, Luke Hughes is obviously someone I want to watch. Logan Cooley, I mean, third overall pick from last year. Red Savage, absolutely elite name. Um, you know, they, so they, they definitely have just some names that I want to keep an eye on because they feel like they could be an interesting team to watch. Chaz Lucius is another one. Um, just elite names, really. But yeah, it, this is um one of the more balanced I can remember the tournaments being, to be honest. Yeah, I think that swung pretty heavily from the fact that Canada lost game well, one. Like Canada so, on paper is significantly more stacked relative to the field than they have been in recent memories. That that's kind of the thing, is people were talking about this Canada team as like, could this be one of the best Canada teams ever? Which is an insanely high bar, obviously. But like anyone from and I mean, like this Canada team just showed that they're human as well, because Czechia just beat them, but like Slovakia is playing the States very well right now. They have a couple of, it just feels like every team and maybe part of this is just the parody feels a little more because Russia's not there, but every team feels like they have a couple of prospects worth watching other than Austria. That's definitely true. And even Austria has, what's his name that we talked about last episode. Um, Casper, right? No, he didn't go. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. Um, that, that's the Red Wings prospect, right? Yeah, he, uh, he's, he, yeah, he declined. He yeah, wanted to stay fair. with his team. So, but um, yeah, like, yeah, so Austria is really the only team where it's like clearly outmatched. But like, even Slovakia, like, there's not a ton of times where I really care to watch what Slovakia is doing. But I want to see Philip Mesar, um, Simon Nemec, you know, like, these are guys that didn't even play in the August tournament either because they wanted the break and, and now they're back here. So, and this Czechia team looks like one of the better Czechia teams that they've iced ever at this tournament. Uh, I really think they could have a chance to medal here. Um, At least make an upset in the quarterfinals. That'll be for sure. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. Like definitely, I agree with you where there is definitely an aspect where we look back at this in two weeks and go, Oh yeah, Canada was as good as we thought Canada was going to be. And they just absolutely steamrolled their way through the rest of the tournament. But 
I, I feel like there's going to be a couple really, really good games because the Switzerland team looks good too, where it's like, I don't think we're going to have too many games in the quarterfinals where it is just an absolute blowout. Yeah, that's very fair. But also for context, uh, from Will Scooch, it's, uh, analysis, Canada's lowest producing forward right now, like from the season so far, is Shane Wright, who's obviously in the NHL, which is a far stronger signal than anything else. And like, Bedard's probably the best player in the tournament as well. And like, like Canada well, is. If, Canada, if Bedard's Canada. not the best tournament or player in the tournament, it's probably like Dylan Gunther or someone who came back from the NHL for Canada. Yeah, exactly. Or like, it could be Stankoven, it could be Shane Wright, and then also Brandon Clark is one of Canada's lower producing players uh, because he was too busy playing with the Los Angeles Kings to be killing a junior league kind of thing. It's the classic case of like Canada in hockey has the high end talent to match anyone, but then they also have four more lines of depth than anyone can produce. Exactly. They have their entire team is well what's the james duffy line that he kept saying over and over it's like 11 first round picks soon yeah. to be three more or whatever and two of them are going to be first and second overall in a stacked draft class the equalizer which is always an equalizer in this tournament is their goaltending though i'm yes. not sold on either of their goalies goudreau looked horrible in game one and frankly from what i've heard like sarnia has been a pretty injured team this year so his stats maybe don't reflect quite his true talent level but like he hasn't. He wasn't even putting up good numbers in the OHL this year. So the fact that they named him Game One starter was a little concerning. Yeah, honestly, Canada's inability to develop goalies is like one of the things I know least about in in all of hockey. It's it's like it's got to be luck, right? Like, probably. Because like that's been something that has definitely come under the micro under the microscope, and like. There was always a couple years, like you remember the Malcolm Subban years or whatever, where it was the exact same question. But even then, like Canada was developing starting goal. And then what I'll say is this tournament isn't the be all end all of who's going to be a good starting goaltender from each country because Carey Price didn't even start in his world juniors. Right. And like that's one of the best goalies of a generation. Um, but that being said, like y- you look at the league right now and like we were talking about Olympics and, and stuff like that. And like, Someone had posted the mock USA Olympic roster or whatever. And, and I saw a bunch of comments like, oh, this is going to compete with Canada. And I sent it to you and like, this is the classic. People just forget how deep Canada's forwards are. Um, and, and frankly, they have a pretty underrated defense core now, again, with how good Makar is and Devon Taves. Um, yeah. But their, their goaltending is the equalizer, where it's like, who's starting a net for a team Canada even in the NHL right now? Is God, it, is it Carter Hart? Carter Hart? Maybe... Um, Darcy Kemper, like, yeah, it's probably Kemper just on average outcomes. Jordan Bennington would be on a lot of people's lists, which tells you about as much as you need to know. Yeah, he's not even been a full time starter in St. Louis, right? Oh, he's been horrible this year, yeah. But yeah, like that's and, and it's been the same in junior ranks, but yeah, and then you look at like countries like. Russia, I mean, I feel like the state's goaltending situation is a little overblown. They have Hellebuck, who's very, very good. But then people keep throwing John Gibson that mix. I was like, John Gibson hasn't been good for five years, guys. Let's relax on that boat. Yeah, the unfortunate part is you only need one. So one, you can have mm-hmm, one Hellebuck and your whole country sucks at playing that. And as long as you have Hellebuck, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but it's not like the states are this absolute goaltending farm right now either. Yeah, that's true. Unlike Ru- Russia. Now, Russia, you can say, like, there's there's trio to go to the Olympics would be Shosturkin, uh, Vasilevsky would start, Shosturkin would be the backup, and Sorokin would be the third, right? Yeah, the guy who just had the best goaltending season, like, ever. Yeah, maybe. uh, Would be the backup. (laughs) And no one would really blink at it. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. Um, And then you have a guy who, obviously, Bobrovsky's not what he used to be, but you have a guy who's casually won, like, two or three Vesnas. Um, and then Peter Kochkev is this up and coming young guy now as well. It's like, where are you getting all of these guys? Just an absolute fun. Finland always feels like they have some good ones in the checks too. But yeah, back to the tournament, just like it, it's kind of weird how Canada doesn't seem to have any like elite goaltenders right now. And as far as I know, there's not like any on the way, unless you're super high on Devin Levi, I guess. 
yeah, I don't, I'm not aware of any. I don't pay a ton of attention to goalie prospects, to be perfectly honest. But Devin Levi is definitely the biggest one that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Levi's a big name. But, um, yeah, I think that's it. Definitely a big, big name. I'm pretty sure that's it. Unless there's like someone coming up through the ranks right now. Yeah, like a 16-year-old we just haven't heard of or something. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, no, this, this should be a good tournament. And, again, like I definitely could see a world where Canada just absolutely runs away with it and it's not close or whatever. I will say I I missed the Russian team in the tournament. I I know it's a delicate topic, and, and I I understand why they're not in it. And I also understand why – like I've seen it go both ways where people are like, this is super unfair. It's not the prospect's fault. And like, I agree with that, but also national hockey is a huge or national sports is huge pride. And like a big nationality thing for Russia. I understand not wanting to just keep promoting that, you know? Yeah. I, I get both sides of it. Cause like, yeah, it's not Mitchkov's fault, but it's clearly politicized and, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on it. To be perfectly honest, it sucks. Yeah, I I completely agree. From an like a personal standpoint of the players, I don't know. I, what I do know is that the tournament is better with them in it, in terms of just purely skill standpoint. Yes, that part's definitely true. But um, still, I I'm really I've been enjoying this tournament so far. Really enjoying it. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be one of the better ones we've seen in a while. It's nice to see fans back in the building as well. And like full buildings too, you know, like obviously with all the, the hockey can, the stuff going on too, it's, um, you know, I, I totally understand anyone saying, I just don't want to even watch and give my support. I, I fully understand that. It's not something I plan. I don't plan on buying hockey Canada jerseys or anything like that, but uh, I'm again, it's not the uh, current players especially the non-Canadian, like they didn't do anything. It's not, I'm not going to turn off the TV and not watch yeah, them. Absolutely. But it is important to keep that in mind. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see when that investigation wraps up because, you know, Alex Formanson's name has been in the news again because he's playing in the Spangler Cup right now. Is he? Yeah, he, he signed with the, the Switzerland team that's in the Spangler Cup. So he's not even playing with Canada. But he is just dominating it, apparently, from what I've seen as well. I haven't watched any of the games, but pretty sure he's got like three or four points in two games. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. He is an NHLer playing against, you know, basically former NHLers. Yeah. But, yeah, old NHLers. Yeah. Um, anyways, let's move on from the tournament. Uh, there's not too much in terms of news. Um, I put out a mailbag. Excuse me put out a bit of a mailbag question and we got um, two questions. One was a really good one. One was a bit more of a satirical one. Uh, we'll start with a satirical one from uh, our friend of the podcast, totally offside. Said, will the Bruins ever lose again in regulation regulation? Why didn't the Sens beat them in regulation? And why do I follow hockey? Um, my answer to him was it probably won't make you feel better, better leaf fans, but I would kill to have a stretch where I go 15, two and three, even if I don't catch the division leader, uh, Ottawa winning against Boston in a shootout last night was one of the highlights of the last two years, which says enough about how bad it's been for <laughs> Ottawa. Um, so I totally under, I understand the frustration of being, you know, underperforming in playoffs for six years, but there's gotta be at least a little bit to be said about how well they're playing right now. Yeah, and it's just so sad that they're plausibly the second best team in the league and can't win their own goddamn division. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, the real focus should be that they're plausibly the second best team in the league. And it it just sucks that like you know they're gonna have to. They're honestly there's a scenario where they're the second best team in the league. They played the third best team in the league in round one, and if you win that, you play the first best team in the league. Yeah, the the Eastern conference finals is almost certainly going to be their easiest matchup and depending on what happens in the west the stanley cup final could be their second even easiest matchup in a world where uh the leafs or lightning for that matter uh win the cup or go go to the cup final yeah absolutely um it's just it's it's insane to be honest like it's so stupid it's absolutely phenomenal uh i just 
I kind of laugh when I look back. Did you did you see the other thing too? I don't think this is the case actually now, but did you as of like a day ago, if they did one through eight, do you know who they'd be playing right now? Oh god, no, I didn't see this. Is it like the Red Wings or something? No, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Wait, really? Yep. And I, so I just looked, the Lightning would be playing the Bruins in round one, one through eight right now. So points go 57 uh, for the Bruins. In second are the Hurricanes at 52. Okay, never mind. Actually, so it would have changed a little bit. Uh, I didn't see the Hurricanes there. Um, but 57 for the Bruins. So they'd be in first. Hurricanes would be in second with 52, which would put the Leafs in third with 50. Uh, and then it goes all the way to the Metro for Devils 46, Capitals 44. They've silently came back. Um, so what's that? Four, five. Penguins 43, Rangers 43. Uh, and then if you're going not three teams need to make it, the Islanders actually have 42 points and the Lightning only have 41, but the Lightning have played uh, four less games than both the Rangers and the Islanders who have just one and two more points than them. Two less games than the uh, Penguins and five less games than the Capitals. So points percentage, it would probably be close again to the Lightning and Leafs squaring up in round one right now. God, I hate this team. <laughs> Which is just absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, the the Lightning are the, the the Leafs are seven two and one in their last ten, and they have made absolutely no ground up on either of the Lightning or the Bruins. The Bruins are seven one and two, and the Lightning are seven and three. So they've made one point up on the Lightning, and they have lost a point to the Bruins after going seven two and one. That's that's insane. Yeah. Um, another insane you stat. lose a point to the Bruins. Do you see the Bruins have lost more in Ontario this year than they have in Boston? No. <laughs> think of, they, I don't think they have a loss at home in Boston yet, or they have one, and they've lost to Ottawa twice in Ontario somehow, and they've lost to Toronto. That's hilarious. Yeah, so they have three losses in Ontario, and I don't think they have more than like two losses in Boston. I feel like there's like a really long form article to be written about how the Bruins are just massacring the league this year, despite how old they are and how injured they were to start the year. Yeah, it's like we've talked about it so many times. It's just it's absolutely crazy. Eh? Like we talked about the beginning of the year, and like people are doing the victory laps of all oh, like people were so desperate for Boston to be bad. They had the senators ahead of them. It's like. Well, let's be like, did you see David Krejci coming in and just being the normal second line set or better than when he was when he left? He has been better than he left, eh? Yeah, and like, did you see them missing Charlie McAvoy on that blue line and Hampus Lindholm going, no, I'll just be peak Hampus Lindholm again and Charlie McAvoy missing yet, him? Hampus I mean, Lindholm's been peak Charlie McAvoy. Literally, and then Charlie McAvoy comes back like two months earlier than expected. Like, no, like, I'll start a little slow, but I'm still going to be very, very, very good. And like, they just didn't miss yeah. him for three months. It's just like, if you saw this, congrats to you, I guess. Like, I, I don't really know what to say. Marshawn doesn't miss a beat. Uh, Bergeron somehow doesn't age ever. I mean, that one's at least somewhat plausible to have seen coming, but like, yeah, it's, yeah, just it's a Bergeron thing I'm fine with at this point. Like, we've been expecting him to decline for a long time, but yeah, like, again, Marshawn comes back from injury. Like, they were missing like four guys to injury, they all come back. They're like, no, we're, we're good. Yep. Astronauts yep. been better than ever. Like, yeah, they literally don't miss a damn thing. Hall's been like sneakily real good. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just, it's just absolutely insane. <laughs> There's just no, I, I, I genuinely don't even know, uh, like what to say. I don't get it. No. Um, the one other thing I want to touch on before we get to the actual mailbag question we had, um. Not looking like, I mean, look, I'm not going to count them completely out or anything like that, but, um, you know, your sneaking suspicion of I can't get behind the Devils being actually good, even though, you know, they look so legit. They're uh, they're not first in their own division anymore, and it's not even close. Yeah, they're closer to the, now, part of this is games played, but they're closer to the Capitals than the Hurricanes at this point. Yeah, like, they are only three points into a playoff spot. They have two games, like, they have two games to play basically on everyone below them uh, and three on the Capitals who are at 44, but yeah, the hurricanes have one more game played and are six points above the, uh, the devils. Um, 
they're the Hurricanes are on an, a W nine and at least a ten game point streak. I can't see back, but they're nine zero and one their last ten. The Devils are three six and one their last ten. So it is uh, kind of amazing how quick it went from like, yeah, the Devils have this division almost like the division lock or definitely a playoff spot, and it's like. It'd take a lot for both teams to go uh, for the division. And it's like, oh, no, no, this is now the Hurricanes division to lose. A quick uh, yeah. W9 will do that. And then I think the Devils were on an L6 at one point as well. Might have been seven. They lost a yeah. ton in a row. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so that, that's one thing I want to shout out to. I, I'm pretty sure they're underlying. Let me just pull them up real quick. Pretty sure the underlying numbers are still solid. Like, I don't think the Devils are going to absolutely crater to, like, not making the playoffs or anything like that. But, um, again, it, it shouldn't really shock anyone that a, a goaltending tandem of um, Vedic Vanacek and uh, oh, who's the guy they drafted? Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood are, yeah. isn't uh, holding up very well. Elmira native. Yeah. Yeah. A little hometown boy. Uh, like, yeah, the, the Devils are still second in Corsi 4 percentage and second in expected goals. Behind only the Hurricanes. So yeah. this is, yeah, this is still a very strong team. I, I don't think I'd be worried about it. But um, again, like we, I, we've talked about it a couple times on the podcast. I, I feel like this is more of an incentive to take advantage of the good team you have and try and add to it. Don't say, oh, we're good enough. This is fine. Because you're probably going to run against a buzzsaw Carolina team if you make no additions. Yeah, exactly. And like, they're they're underperforming their expected goals for at least at evens in a league where everyone's outperforming their expected goals for so like you could probably infuse some shooting help for these guys yeah you exactly. get this team to an average finishing team or above average finishing team the way they're still driving play you're just gonna run people yeah 100 percent. so um yeah it's uh gonna be interesting to see uh, what happens with that? Let's get on to the actual uh, mailbag question. And this comes from uh, Todd. Uh, he says, I know there's always been a primary focus on five on five play statistics, but due to the increase in league wide score, <laughs> excuse me, league wide scoring and increasing power play efficiency, have you noticed if models or analysis have made enough of an adjustment to compensate for this? Um, so basically, That's a great like, our question. This is a very, very good question, and I'll, I'll let you take it to start. Um, so there's two ways of looking at this, and it's going to depend on the way the model is structured. So if you look at a game score-like model where you're just multiplying values, so a goal is just worth like 0.75 game score, a positive course is just like 0.05 game score or whatever it is, it will kind of automatically adjust for that in the way that like if a higher percentage of league scoring starts coming on the power play, a higher percentage of overall game score will start coming on the power play. So that will sort of automatically adjust for that on its own. Although you're, many models will ignore like play driving ability on the power play. So you could lose that. Um, and then the other perspective is going to be from a goals above replacement perspective. And it gets a little more difficult there because of the whole above replacement level part. So like there's actually a world and it, it looks like this is the world we're living in. If, if you take evolving hockey's uh, goals above replacement outputs as, uh, as our measures here, power play scoring is up league-wide like way 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 up obviously from what it uh, used to be players are actually getting less like the best players are tending to produce slightly less uh goals above replacement on the power play now so the way i would interpret that even though scoring is up on the power play that the the mcdavids of the world are getting less value on the power play than ova used to in a gar model it's actually that it's not just like the very best players driving things on the power play it's going to be all of the players in the, it's like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. And as replacement levels risen, risen faster than how good the best players in the league are. So that I find interesting in and of itself. And then something else that I think I'm, I'm definitely guilty of as power play scoring 
uh, rises is when we look at, say, like this team's fake, this team's real because they're getting killed at five on five. It's starting to get to the point now where you can put up double digits goals four per hour on the power play. And that's starting to become a legitimate way to outrun your your five on five problems. So it depends if you're looking at it from a player level analysis or a team level analysis, I guess I would say. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. I think in terms of definitely the the replacement level thing, it makes sense because how often have we said, take a look at fourth liners today versus even six years ago, let alone 10 years ago, right? Whereas like, like John Scott was still in the league 10 years ago as a prominent player or a prominent enforcer guys like Chris Neal were, were still playing 10 years ago. Right. And it's just like now you see not super, super often, but there's still times where it's like, you'll have like an 18 year old who's playing fourth line minutes, but gets power play two time. And it's like that power play two is so much more dangerous than the fourth line grinder or third line grinder that you would have had out there 10, 10 years ago. Right. So that to me definitely makes sense in terms of, why it looks like the the top end players don't actually get as much value as you know an OV would have back in the early 2010s or whatever. Um, and from an analysis point, I, I totally agree with you. And I've tried to make this point a couple times on the podcast of like people use the term power play merchant quite a lot. And it's a fair thing to bring up in different aspects. And re- Primarily, I would say in terms of repeatability season over season, if that makes yes. sense. Like there's there's very few teams I trust to be absolutely dominant on the power play every season. The Edmonton Oilers are one, and then like maybe Toronto. Yeah, yeah, Toronto's massacred teams for a while now. Yeah, and then it's like obviously you're if you're a higher end team like Colorado, uh, Boston, Tampa Bay, they're all going to be on the higher end of the power play thing. But, like, even them, like, Edmonton's setting records for how, like, disgusting their power play is. And they've done that a couple of years in a row now. So it's like there's still a limit for most teams of how high I feel like I'm willing to give that. But for a, in that year, as you said, you can definitely use it as a way to try and outscore some of your problems. Now, yeah. I wouldn't say that's a smart strategy if the goal is to win a cup. But if the goal is simply just to win as many regular season games as you can – being quote unquote power play merchants is probably a more effective way than people are willing to give credit at, even if you're not great at five on five. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like a good example, one of the most efficient power plays uh, over the past few years is the St. Louis blues. I think they're second behind Edmonton in efficiency. I was looking at today. Uh, The blues famously had horrific XG numbers and everybody was like, Oh, they've solved hockey. Maybe they didn't solve hockey. Maybe they just had a really, really, really disgustingly good power play, and that's a far more likely, uh, far more likely outcome. Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the reasons that you know when you go, well, why don't you trust power play year over year? It's well, teams can adjust to it. You know, so like if a team has a twenty five percent power play heading, I don't. That's just a number, like super high percent power play for a number of year. One of the things other teams, especially in their own division, will look in the offseason like okay, what are these guys doing so well that like is, is making them so effective and how do we adjust to shut that down? And obviously when you have guys like Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid on your team, it probably isn't going to matter too much what they do because they're just, you're going to change anyways. But if you have a certain system where it kind of feels like that's what like a team like St. Louis was doing, where it was very, you know, obviously they have a ton of shooting talent as well, but a lot of it was also a system-based thing. If teams adjust to that, you need to make the readjustment. And even if you do make it, it's just probably going to take some time. And that's why you can go through a month stretch where you lose nine games in a row if that's what you were completely relying. Yeah, exactly. So for context, too, with your system thing, like the best power plays in the past three years combined. Edmonton, I don't think that's a system thing. Connor, have Connor McDavid, not repeatable. St. Louis, they've done some clever things with their passing. So uh, I'm willing to give them some credit. Uh, Toronto just have better players. The Avalanche just have better players. The Stars, I don't really watch enough of. Maybe there's something to that. And then the Lightning just have better players, right? Like it's mm-hmm. hard to it's hard to outrun that. And then also another thing is that like, and this this I feel like doesn't get brought up enough when people are talking about playoff success. Uh, nothing makes small samples valuable. Like just just because you want 
something like in the playoffs, no matter how badly you want seven games to mean something, it simply doesn't. Uh, and you run into that problem with the power play where over the past three years, the Oilers have like half as much time on ice on the power play as Connor McDavid has in a season. So it gets really hard to estimate who's actually good there when you're dealing with like 230 minutes. Cause as much as, you know, league scoring's up and you kind of wish you could draw better conclusions from that. It's a fool's errand to try to draw, think you can draw better conclusions than people from small samples because you probably can't. Yeah. If a, t- if a team goes 6% on a power play in a seven game sample, you shouldn't be walking away from that going, they forgot how to play on the power play. Exactly. And a good example, the least power play struggles uh, in the playoffs, seemingly every year. Uh, that's like, I don't know. I don't have numbers in front of me. That's probably like 80 bad minutes. Mm-hmm. No matter how much you want that to matter, that does not matter. Or in yeah, a predictive and- sense anyway. So obviously it's cost them many a playoff series, but like there's still every the most likely outcome for the power play going into this playoffs is really good because they're really good at it over 800 regular minutes. Yeah, exactly. And I would say if you want to use it from a predictive standpoint in terms of power play projecting into the playoffs, it's not efficiency you should be looking at. It's how many power plays you actually get. And there's been more research where it's like, it actually isn't as drastic as people say about the game. Like they don't call stuff. And I think that's been a change probably in refereeing over the past couple of years too, because let's be honest, like I love the playoffs. You love the playoffs. Like they're still awesome to watch, but it's not 2010 hockey anymore where you're allowed. Cause even back then you were allowed hooking and grabbing way more than you are now. Any slash to the hand, absolutely called. That was not called, especially in the playoffs 10 years ago. So it's been a bit of a mindset change, but if you want to project and say, we're expecting even say one less power play per game or half a power play less per game, that's how you have to project in terms of like, what does our efficiency mean given the time on ice usage, which is already very small. And then obviously you have to keep in mind that this is already an incredibly small sample. You shouldn't be taking anything drastically away from it. Yeah. 100%. And again, um, this has been generally from a predictive sense because I feel like the the usefulness of anything descriptive is really limited, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. something happened, oh, you can point out that it did happen, I guess, but there's not a ton that can be done with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that was an absolutely amazing question. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Todd, for sending that in. That was um and if anyone else has you know any any kind of question that they want us to answer absolutely just send it our way um yeah i don't i guess on a recap of the actual question like there's no true answer to it it'll definitely be i I am curious to see if slash how people who make models kind of adjust for the scoring increase and if they because you know like obviously with a model you can't just drastically change anything like that but you know, it'll be interesting to see if they how they weight stuff differently, and you know, and same with expected save percentage and all that stuff as well, and just how that affects models going forward. So that'll be the big thing because the like uh, goals above replacement model just is a goals above replacement model, right? You can't really change things. You can change like you can adjust for zone starts differently or something like that, but like. At the end of the day, it's still just you drove goals relative to X players we've defined as replacement level. And as those things fluctuate, the outputs kind of change. But what interests me is like, I wonder if we we might start retraining XG models sooner rather than later or doing... It looks like we're trending that way. We're like... It's been a while now of every team outperforming their XG. It, it's clear we're in a different environment than we used to yeah if it's something that keeps happening i definitely think it's got to be adjusted right like but i mean last year if i'm not mistaken were people not underperforming it last year it's a weird thing last year i just righties like crushed their xg and lefties got killed by it and i don't know why hmm. yeah that is interesting that feels like probably more of randomness than anything but unless you would think maybe so. it has something to do with like glove hands yeah that that could make sense because what righties you're going to be facing the blocker not the glove on your on your good shooting side on the power play right 
Yeah, for most, for like, unless that the goalie set ball, which there isn't a ton of them. Pretty much never happens. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that even repeats itself or if that's like a general trend or what. Yeah, uh, it'll be something to keep an eye on, to keep an eye on for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I don't really have any more topics other than that. Um, I did think this was going to be a lighter episode, so I have come prepared with. We can either we can probably do both. We have time, but I I've restocked my um, categories for the player career game. Uh, if we want to do that, or we can do an overrated under underrated favorite least favorite, whatever you should want. Let's do overrated underrated. All right, the one I had for this, we'll keep it food related, but we'll go to the arena arena snacks. Okay. I like this. So I haven't put a ton, a ton of thought into it, but oh my gosh. And so I'm just watching the World Junior game, and I, I know highlighting an update on podcast doesn't do too much, but uh, someone just got absolutely smoked outside the boards. Um, yeah, so overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. And before we get into that, I should actually mention that thank you to Betstamp for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, as always, you know, you, if you've been listening for a couple of weeks, you know what BetStamps all about. Uh, the best way to make money uh, with sports books is to invest in multiple different sports books. And what BetStamp does, it helps you compare lines for those sports books. Um, so you can uh, put your with the multiple sports books you're signed up with, you can use the BetStamp app. And any bet you want to make, you can go and take a look at the odds, and it'll tell you what sports book in your area actually gives you the best odds. So, for example. Uh, Thursday on uh, we'll go to the NHL and if I pull up my bet stamp app here Thursday night the Boston Bruins are playing the New Jersey no that's tonight sorry uh we'll go the Montreal Canadiens are playing the Florida Panthers um the best odds you can actually get on the Montreal Canadiens are plus 255 um which is obviously a very good payout that goes all the way down to plus 210 depending on what sports book you're using. So that is obviously quite the massive change, right? Like um, same with the Panthers, minus 310 is their uh, um, worst value, minus 265 on different books. Um, And and that's using two of the most popular books on DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, So you can easily compare lines. You can also look at the market and take a look at free marketplace picks from other people and what they've placed. Uh, completely free. Uh, it's super easy to use. Chase and I both use it for our NFL picks, and I absolutely love it. It, it helps you track exactly what you've placed, how much you've won or lost. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're interested in signing up, download the BetStamp app and use the referral code MNM Hockey. Uh, it would mean a lot. And thank you to BetStamp for sponsoring this podcast. This, uh, I don't know. I, it always actually surprises me how different some of the numbers are. You would think most things would have similar enough, like forecasting models, wouldn't you? It is absolutely crazy. And like what I've started to notice is that obviously for like the big things, there's not a massive edge in terms of like movement. Like so football, for example, for anyone who doesn't know, and this is just a fun conversation to have anyways. Uh, in football, the lines, like the, the amount that gets bet on the Super Bowl is more money than every single NHL game all year combined. And yeah, like, which is it? Like, it's massive. But that means every week, if you're betting, say, spread, so that's how many points a team's going to win by, or just straight on money line, who's going to win? There's been so much money put into the football one um, in general that it's it's hard to really find edges, right? Like, so Chase and I both bet on football. We use a model that we have, and 3% edge in that model is, like, absolutely You're, nuts. like, jumping for joy. Yeah. When, when you do hockey, so there's so many games in hockey, it's hard to model every game so closely. But when you do something like hockey, the, the markets haven't dialed in as much, where it's, like, the model I was using and used to use, you used to be able to find, like, 7 8% edges fairly routinely. And I find in football as well, and, and Chase, we've talked about this too, player props are a really good way. And that's where I'm always shocked about how much of a difference it is. Like there'll be some guys like um, Travis Kelsey, Kelsey was a perfect one. He had over one and a half touchdown reception prop last week. And one book had him at like minus 115 and another book had him at like plus 180. Like that's, that's like ridiculous. a hundred percent swing almost. In terms of your value, I mean, maybe it wasn't quite that, but it was like literally he was percentage wise, one. it's still a pretty big jump. 
literally minus money in one, or not minus money, obviously, but if you put 10 bucks down, you weren't making $10. And then on another book, if you put 10 bucks down, you were making like 15. And like, that's incredible. Just how big of a market can swing between what's usually two pretty big books, you know? Mm-hmm. What I always find weird too, is like, if you listen to some people who like really, really know what they're doing, like uh, Eric Eager back when he had the, the PFF forecast with George, Eric would just be like, oh, like X book is sharp and Y book isn't. Well, if Eric knows that, like the books have to know who the good ones are too, right? You would think you would just steal other people's lines basically at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I will say, I mean, I think some books probably make lines a little different so they get people into using their book a little more, if that makes That's sense. That's true. And there's different incentives there too. Yeah, exactly. But like, just generally speaking, it is kind of crazy how different the market can be. And I, again, especially when it comes to like NHL games as well. Um, like it's, I, 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 this has nothing to do with Betstamp in terms of, but like using their app, if I just go and take a look at a random game um, for Thursday, uh, yeah, let's go Thursday night or even Friday. Let's go one more day out um, here. Actually, the lines aren't posted for Friday, which makes sense. It's two days in advance. Um, but Thursday night, the Vancouver Canucks Winnipeg Jets. Vancouver goes from anywhere from plus 122 to plus 140. Like that's a, that's a like aggressive amount of difference in terms of like if you have both sports books open anyways, the amount of return you're getting back on one versus the other for literally the same outcome is just absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's very strange to me. But, um, yeah, I, I could talk about sports betting for hours. And just, like, I always love the podcasts that, like, really get into, like, how sports bets make their lines and stuff like that. Like, I, I it's so fascinating to me. It's very cool. The um, – I'm, I'm going to make a shot model one of these – one of these years. I think that would be really cool to get into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also, theoretical question for you. Okay. In the football analytics community, everything revolves around betting. In the hockey analytics community, people, more or less, this isn't always true, but it's mostly true, could not give a fuck. Do you think we will trend the the foot NFL direction? Um, I mean, I, I think we've already, maybe not analytically, I guess we haven't, but yeah. I think because of how random the game hockey is, no. I think it'll get closer to the football direction, but even with, you know, hockey and like football, uh, football has enough randomness as well, obviously. But like with hockey, you can have the most fine-tuned model and you, you still might just lose 12 games in a row because the Buffalo Sabres decided to get them. Tage Thompson shot 29%. Yeah, Tom does like the best work in the world when he's like, I'm a profitable sports better and I lost for like, I'm going to make up a number, like 500 bets. He was like negative value or whatever. Like He I, he quit posting this year because he said it was just too much pressure when he went, he went on a pretty big skid last year. And it was like, he was doing stuff for the athletic where he was posting his bets or like giving suggestions of what he would bet and what he was betting most nights. And it was like, just too much pressure because he lost like, for a month and a half in a row. Yeah, and he's the best for being being open about that stuff. Because mm-hmm. most people just tweet their wins and call it a day, right? Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, it's uh, always interesting. It'll be interesting to see. And I think, obviously, with betting companies now just being all over the place, I could see analytics just taking that step naturally, but... Yeah, that's true. And it feels like it kind of just started to come to hockey as opposed to, like football betting's been a lot more popular for a lot longer. Yeah, and and some of that is because Batman was so against betting for so long, right? Whereas, like, mm-hmm. the NFL's just, it's always been the thing you bet on. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I'm not sure it's a good thing. No, I don't either. Like, I mean, we've talked like, about, the, the even just the amount of ads for bet stuff is, like, crazy. You know, I, I know it's ironic because we're sponsored by a betting company, but, like, yeah. it is just, like, really crazy when you got to sit back and look at it yeah like we're sponsored by a betting company i literally write for a 
betting company and stuff, but <laughs> it's not for everyone. And the advertisements, obviously the whole point of advertising is to sell the complete opposite of that, which is really concerning. Yeah, I've already said that I could see it being how we look at beer and cigarettes. I mean, obviously you can't advertise cigarettes anymore, but like beer commercials now in like 20 years where it's like, I could say, I don't know how you put, because, you know, so right now, I think it's in States too, but definitely in Canada, you're not allowed actually showing anyone drinking your alcohol. I could see. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah, so I could see like a betting company or like betting restrictions years down the road, obviously. I could see it being like you can't actually show them or like say win big or whatever. Yeah, well, that's the thing because the Rob Bazola argument for betting is always the best. Where he's like, some people just prefer prefer doing that as opposed to some people like to instead of betting, they want to go spend twenty dollars on a uh, on a movie, have a good night at the at the movies with your friend or your wife or whatever, and like that's cool if you want to do or like some people can put $20 on a football game and then suddenly that's their equivalent of the movie and like that's a that's a great way of looking at betting I've always thought whereas like when they're selling oh yeah we have these stepped up parlays you can be a winner to everyone it's like you probably can't be a winner without taking it very 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 seriously yeah we have these seven leg parlays and we're only going to show the ones that hit not the thousands that miss come play you know like Exactly. And like every company on earth shows the, uh, well, this guy bet 69 cents and made $420 million. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're still actually profiting off those, even though those payouts are that stupid because there's such an unfathomable amount of them placed. And it kind of preys on availability bias where like you only see the wins. So people overestimate the likelihood of them and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Let's get into our overrated and underrated favorite, least favorite. I'll start. So we're doing arena snacks overrated. I will do any kind of arena candy. Um, usually just overpriced. I'm a massive candy fan, but don't really want to pay. Same with like movie snacks. I don't really want to pay my eight bucks for a bag of candy or whatever. And it's probably stale half the time anyways, or you're eating it in a cold rink and it gets hard. I, I any kind of candy, I just overrated for me. I'm into that. Also, like I like to pick candy flavors in a way that you kind of squished into an arena seat or whatever, you know, you don't really want to be like ruffling through a bag of Jolly Ranchers for the specific flavor you want at that moment. It's a better, just like you're at home sprawled out on the table kind of food. Yep. That's, that's totally fair. Uh, do you have a different overrated? I think candy's a good one. I don't like in arena beer. Yeah. I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of agree with that. And then also I got drunk by myself at a Sens game a couple <laughs> weeks ago. So like Fair. the arena beers were flowing there. Like I get the fun and like me and my dad went to a Rangers game, the local OHL team for those who don't know is Kitchener Rangers. And like he was buying big win and we saw like old friends that just sat around and like drank the entire time but like that was really fun or whatever but i don't know i wouldn't like pay for my own i don't think to like get, get after it at a rink see i think i'm the opposite where i was like if you're good i wouldn't just pay for one or two. like i wouldn't have just one arena beer and call it a night not casual i would definitely yeah. never do that either if you're gonna have an arena beer you gotta make it like you're probably going out somewhere after keeping the party going after yeah spin it into something i could get behind that but yeah, I would never just be like, mm, I got my popcorn. Give me an arena beer. Yeah, like I just, I don't know. Maybe maybe this would be different if I like had kids or something. But I always see people with like, oh yeah, they go get their one beer. It's like I would, I would never do that. <laughs> no, maybe maybe that's a sign we haven't matured enough. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, as of right now, I definitely definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um. All right. Underrated. Hmm. What do you have for this? A chicken fingers, the goat, the That's goat a good food one. in general, and just just underrated all around. People think they're they're too old to order chicken fingers. Nobody's old too old to ever order chicken fingers. It doesn't yeah. get any better. That's a good one. I hmm, I'm really torn here. So there's three I really like. I but so I really like Arena Pizza in terms of like I like I like I, pizza, I was, but. I was going to pick arena pizza. I just wasn't sure if everyone else loved it or not. 
that's the thing. I don't know if it's really underrated because you see so many people eat it, right? I don't know the last time I've went to arena baseball game, any event like that, and not gotten pizza. I it, it just I do it always looks amazing. And like like pizza pizza is the one that it seems to be in a lot of arenas around here. I've never been like, man, I need pizza pizza. And then I go no, to the arena it's, and it's I'm not like, even that good pizza if you're no, it's if not. you're at home, you would never buy it. And you're, no. you're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> so that looks delicious. But so I, I don't know if it's actually, if that doesn't count, I go beer nuts though. I don't know if that's even something a ton of the arenas have, but they saw them in Kitchener. It's just like um, beer battered nuts for anyone who doesn't know. And they're usually served warm. So good. So delicious. Beer nuts. Um, yeah. Might even be my favorite, but I'll, I'll use them for underrated. Okay, I like that. Uh, what about favorite? My favorite is probably pizza, to be honest. I think my favorite, it might be cheating, but a popcorn pop duo. Popcorn is really good, too. Yeah, like, I know it's just such a standard thing, but just a nice pop. It's same with, like, the movies. Like, you know, the movies, you have small popcorn, large di- large Diet Coke. I'm set for the movie. I don't, I don't even care if the movie's bad. Movie pop, movie popcorn. I don't know how people go without it. Yeah, it's arena popcorn's not quite as good as movie popcorn. Pizza would be up there for favorite, I think, as well. But the problem is, I find like the variance on pizza is very aggressive. Like, you can't have a bad arena popcorn, you can have a not great slice of pizza at the arena. That's very fair. Yeah, because all move. Every arena I've ever gotten popcorn and tastes the exact same. Yeah, and that's including different sports and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But it's all just like, oh, this is solid. Yeah. I would say another maybe favorite, and this isn't a hockey arena as, as much, but like the, the Jays game, hot dog. Ooh, hot dogs are good too. The When they do the dugout deals, you can get like a $2 hot dog. Oh, F me up with that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, Least favorite. Least favorite. I've got an easy one here. And it's something I genuinely enjoy. I love most of the time. You know I do. But it's nachos. The arena nachos. Arena nachos suck. You you don't get enough cheese. It's just a little tin of cheese. I I don't even mind the melted cheese. Like The the fake cheese doesn't taste bad to me. But you just get like these giant chips you can barely even dunk into the cheese. There's never enough cheese. So then you're just eating like whole wheat tortilla chips for the end of it. It's like... This is not really what I want to pay $10 for. Yeah, I'm with you on nachos because I don't even like the fake cheese. I don't like people who say they wouldn't order nachos at a restaurant. I respect. I would. I freaking love restaurant nachos. Mm-hmm. Arena nachos suck. Yeah, exactly. Well, like, because my biggest problem with most, re- most restaurant nachos is you get only the top layer stuff has stuff and then you're again, just eating chips. But like, yeah, arena nachos, you don't even get anything on it. It's literally you just have to dunk it in the cheese. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that would have to be my least favorite because I don't even know other ones that I would, like, dislike. Like, I'm trying to think of other stuff. The, pret- the soft pretzel is always a clat. Like, that's always good. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, You're going to get a chocolate. Like, I wouldn't get a chocolate bar at Arena, but, like, uh, chocolate's fine, you know? Like, so. Better than candy. Yeah, exactly. So, I think nacho definitely the way I'm going to have to go for least favorite. So, I'm with you on nachos. All right. Very, well, very overrated. I think that's a good way to close it out. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. Um, as always, you can find my work at lastwordinhockey.com. You can find Chase's work at theactionnetwork.com. Me on Twitter at NHL Sins and stuff and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Um, thank you so much to everyone for listening this year. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, this will be definitely our last episode of 2022. It is December 28th as we're recording. Um, and I speak for both Chase and I when I say, you know, this has been a lot of fun getting to, you know, record every week and just seeing, you know, the feedback and anytime anyone reaches out and, you know, I'm just, I, I, I don't know about you, Chase, but I'm just genuinely forward and always love it when someone says, oh, this isn't the podcast and you said this, like, I'm just always open to have any conversation. So, yeah. um, you know, thank you everyone so much for the support and, uh, hope everyone has a safe and happy new year. So we'll talk to you all in 2023.